The first reading can be found on page 10, the front section of the Bible. It is taken from Genesis chapter 11, beginning at the 31st verse. Terah took his son Abram, Abram and his grandson, grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife. And they went out together from Ur of Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took his wife Sarai and his brother's son Lot and all the possessions that they had gathered and the persons whom they had acquired in Haran. And they set forth to go to the land of Haran to the land of Canaan. When they had come to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved on to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and invoked the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on by stages towards the Negev. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Please stand for the Gospel reading. The Gospel reading can be found on page 33 in the back of the Bibles. Hear the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. Verse 16. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. 
And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their, met, in their boat, mending their nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Pray together. Lord God, we give thanks that you called your disciples to yourself. You called Abram into a new land. We pray that you would be drawing us close to yourself and that we would ever be followers of you. We ask this in your mighty name. Amen. Do take a seat, everyone. So this morning as we start September, we have a new series of readings and we'll be following through the life and the journey of Abraham. At the moment he's known as Abram, the first and founding what's known as patriarch, father of the faith, journeyer of faith with God. And so we find ourselves this morning in Genesis 12. And so to understand Genesis 12, I felt it was actually best to sort of recap what has happened in Genesis 1 to 11 because it opens up what we hear in today's reading. So in our first 11 chapters, we have creation. God in creation is good. He creates the world. He creates Adam and Eve. But very soon we have the fall. Abraham, um, Adam and Eve fall. Their children, Cain, kills Abel. We have the Nephilim, the bad angels. You have Noah needing to build the ark because of the sin of the world and the flood. You have the Tower of Babel, the people wanting to uh, be clever and outsmart God and be, um, have dominion over God. So basically we have a good start in creation, but we have a very rapid downward spiral from that point. And that's essentially a very, very brief summary of these first 11 chapters. And so actually, that's a bit like a prologue in a book. Something that helps us get to the point where we go, okay, this is where we are now. Um, and actually the, the style of writing in the Bible changes at the point when we meet uh, these characters here in this chapter. Is anyone here uh, a fan of opera? I know I might be one of the, one of the few. That's, that's quite right. We've got a few hands. We've got a few more hands than we did at the air. I think I was the only one. But yeah, no, I've, I've always been a fan of it. It was always great fun. Caroline used to, my wife, used to work for an agency managing opera singers, and so we used to get tickets quite regularly to operas. Uh, but let me tell you about one particular one with a great little overture called, uh, by an Italian uh, composer called Verdi. 
And he wrote something called The Force of Destiny, which you can sort of guess from the title, tells you where it's going to go. And in its overture, you have these tunes that sort of imply that destiny is a creeping, cunning sort of thing. There are big bombastic moments. There are retreating moments. But all through, you seem to have this web of destiny running through. And that leads you for your first five minutes and the curtains come up and you meet the young, handsome young man trying to fall in love with the girl, commits the cardinal sin. You know, if you're going to try and woo a girl, you don't kill her dad. It doesn't go well, you know. Operas are never subtle things. Um, So he runs off, he joins the army. She runs off, joins a monastery. What else would you do? Um, And he tries to get away from the things that he has done, from killing her father. And he thinks by joining the army, he can probably run away from his failings, only to find that his best friend is her brother. The brother finds out and plots to bring this all together. And all through, you get this idea, this creeping idea that was given to you in those first five minutes that destiny will always catch up on him. That was the overture, and it carries on right through to the end. So why is that a good analogy? Because I think, actually, the first 11 chapters really help us see where we're going to go from this point on when we meet Abram. So sin has entered into the world. It has seemingly made relationship with God almost implausible by this point. So, so difficult. And so when we meet God and Abram in chapter 12, we We meet a person like we've not really met before. And considering we've we've seen this downward spiral, we've seen the fallenness of humanity, it should surprise us when God says, when there are five blessings in those opening few verses of chapter 12, God says, go from your country into a land that I'm giving you. And it says, firstly, I will make you a great nation. Secondly, I will bless you. Thirdly, I will make your name great that you will be a blessing. Fourthly, I will bless you so that you will bless. I will bless those who bless you. And fifthly, in you, all the families on the earth will be blessed. A huge, um, quite turning, you might think, from the previous 11 chapters, but it is intricately connected into those 11 chapters. Firstly, Abram is is given a land. He says, if you leave where you are and you go into a land that I am giving you. But in the fall, the, the land is described as cursed and a toil. Abram is starting to turn it around. When Cain kills his brother, he is given the curse of being a wanderer, ever to wander, never having a home. But in Abram, he is being offered a home in God. What about in the the Tower of Babel? The people said, let us make a name 
for ourselves. Let us be clever enough that we can outsmart God. We can make him do what we want him to do. But in Abram, God sees something different and offers to make his name great. So Abram is actually starting to set a brand new trajectory from its original course, trying to turn this ship around, away from the sin and fallenness that we see in those opening chapters. And so he faithfully, with his family members, enters into the land of Canaan. And it's a land with many other people. It's not a land completely devoid that he can make for himself. There are other inhabitants here. And the journey with God is far from over. This is just the opening moments. But Abram continues on this journey. He goes into this foreign and unfamiliar land. And it says he camps between two Canaanite towns. And he gives the names as Bethel and Ai, which is interesting because those aren't Canaanite names. Those are actually Hebrew later names for them. And Bethel specifically would become a very special place for the people of God. Bethel would be the place where Jacob would lie down and have his dream with God. The the angels and the ladders, if we remember those, that was the place of encounter. That is how the place Bethel gets its name. Beth meaning house, El meaning the one true God the house of God. And Abram doesn't know any of this. He has just walked into an unfamiliar land with unfamiliar people and camped between two small towns. And what's interesting, it's not his destination. It's not any particular place. He's between places and he's between his beginning and his end of his journey. But what does he choose to do at that moment? It says at that moment he realized that he wanted to give thanks, that he wanted to create an altar, that he wanted to offer sacrifice. Not because he had reached where he was going, not because he seemed to be in any place significant that he knew, but he knew that in that moment there was the place that he had to give thanks It's one of the key moments, I think, in the Bible that reminds me In all of the busyness, now is the time to give thanks. Not when I've got to the end of a project or I've, you know, got to the end of something specific and gone, oh God, I'm glad that finally I got there. I'm finally that I saw that you are with me. But actually, no, now is the moment. Between beginning and end, between places, now, not later, is the time to realize that we give thanks thanks. So what does this opening in Abram's journey teach us about our own journey? Firstly, it's never to start, too late to start our journey of faith. Abram starts his journey with God at 75, does it for 25 years until he's 100. And Abram is given a promise you leave where you are and you go into this promised land, there will be these blessings. And so he chooses to hold on to them, 
when he gives thanks. He has not received all of those blessings. He has not seen the realization of all of those blessings come to pass. And yet he knows he will hold on to them. Even in the middle, thi- middle of things, let's give thanks. Even when he's not seen the fullness of them. And so Abram was faithful to God's promises. He knew that God would be faithful. The God whom he had met, the God whom had spoken to him would be faithful. And so in that, he chooses to keep on walking with him. And over the coming weeks, we'll hear more of that. But this is the first great patriarch, the first great person who decides that actually walking with God would be worth it. And he would turn that tide of um, downward spiral and set it on a new trajectory as a family of God. Firstly, just a single family. But over the generations, we'll see through the Old Testament and on into the New Testament when God's spirit is poured out on all flesh, that God is faithful, that God journeys with his people. So... Tune in next week when we will hear more of that story. Let's pray together. Lord God, we give thanks that you are faithful. That in the same way that you called Abram and his family into a a land, you have good plans for us. In the same way that you called those fishermen out of their boats to follow Jesus, we pray that you would call us, that we would be drawn into your presence, that we would know you journeying with us. We pray that we would be a thankful people who know what it is to give thanks to you in the midst of things, when we are between places, when we are between the beginning and the end of our journey. Make us a thankful people, knowing your presence always with us, we pray. For we ask in your mighty name. Amen.